Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Excited to be here with a friend in Tim House uh, from Purdue Athletics. Tim is in fundraising. Uh, we got to work with him a little bit uh, when I was there at Purdue. We definitely had a few uh, fun golf rounds out at Campin. Um, I, I may or may not have lost to Tim. He's a pretty good golfer. But uh, Tim, nonetheless, really excited to just talk about your journey uh, incredible work ethic, just incredible human being as a whole. So um, excited to, to get into it and, and welcome. Thanks, Jake. I, uh, you know, I mean, I'm flattered that <laughs> I don't know if I, how incredible I am, but um, I'm flattered to even be asked to be a part of it and um, certainly miss having you around here at Purdue. So it's great to reconnect. Absolutely. Uh, so in the fundraising world, usually, and, and this will help for some of the listeners, but usually you're part athletics, part university, maybe, you know, paid by the university, work in athletics. Can you explain a little bit about how you guys are, are set up and, and what your function is there? Sure. Our structure at Purdue is, um, it's fairly typical in the college athletics development space, uh, although everyone's got a little bit of a different wrinkle on it from my observation. But um, so I, I, I sit in both sides now. So physically, my office is in Mackey Arena in the athletics department. Um, I, I report to Mike Wabinski, our AD on that side, um, have, you know, one-on-ones with him to discuss, you know, donor updates, strategy on different projects we may be fundraising for. Um, and, and, you know, in the general culture, I also am very blessed and fortunate that he's allowed me to be a sport administrator. So I get to work with some of our student athletes and coaches and, and sit on his executive leadership team there. Um, but then also on the university side, I get to sit on the uh, university development leadership team, um, uh, where uh, we form the culture and the mission and vision for fundraising as a whole to try to create uh, a uniformity, a, a team feel about what we do so that we keep the alumni and donors best interest at heart, that they're not getting over communicated to, that we're all reading from the same sheet of music um, and, and report to the head of university development on that. So I have two titles. I mean, my, my title on the athletic side is executive senior associate athletics director. My title on the university side is associate vice president for development. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I think my job is just to make sure that uh, we're finding the resources necessary to make Purdue better, um, to have our young people come into a place that, you know, they leave better than the way we found them. So um, it, the job doesn't change all that much, but, you know, it, it is um, it's cool to kind of see both sides of the house and, and, and particularly on the unit the development aspect of my job, sitting on that uh, senior staff, getting to observe what's going on on the campus side. And, um, you know, we, we, we do quarterly business reviews, right, of every fundraising unit. So I learn a lot about the different entities on campus that our student athletes may be interacting with, um, which helps us, I think, also on the athletic side, because then I can talk to our coaches and, um, and you know, about maybe things that they can mention in recruiting or, or things that we can relate back to our student athletes. So great synergy with the set we've got here and, and I've really enjoyed it. So when you think about uh, fundraising, right, one would go, okay, you got to be really passionate about the school, 
right? In, in order to fundraise for it. And what you see a lot of times is people go to places they didn't go to school, right? Or they didn't graduate from. Um, but then you even had an opportunity to go work at West Point where like, that's a whole nother set of purpose or values and right. So expand upon kind of your journey when you, when you started and then um, a little bit of your journey from West Point and, and after that. Sure. So um, I always thought I wanted to be only at my school. You know, I went to North Carolina State University. I grew up in Raleigh. Um, and the passion I had for getting into college athletics was to become the athletic director at NC State. And, um, you know, there, there's probably some people who will laugh at this, but like, you know, I grew up in an era where NC State was not competing very well with NC, with North Carolina and Duke. And it's a unique setup down there where you're right next to your rivals and you have to hear about it all the time. So I was hell bent to figure out how to fix that, you know, and, and to be honest with you, like that competitive flame is still a big part of why I do what I do. I, I never set out to be a fundraiser, Jake. I, I set out to be an athletics director. And I don't think there's been a day in my career that I've thought of myself as a, as a fundraiser. It, fundraising happens to be my role on the team. You know, I mean, I, and I think that does make me a little unique. I mean, there's a lot of people who are, who are great fundraising professionals and they've really honed in on that craft. And I have honed in on my craft, but I, I see, hey, Tim House's role on our team is to you know, work with the group of people who are going to provide the resources necessary for us to win um, and, and to better the lives of our young people you know, and to further our mission with our alumni and our donors and our supporters. And I think it's important, you, you know, for me, it's, it's kept me excited no matter what institution I was at, that I always tied the fundraising element back to the competition element, back to the student athlete development element of what we do. Um, and so, yeah, so grew up in Raleigh, went to NC State. That was kind of the motivation for getting in. Um, I, my parents own a restaurant, so I really grew up kind of talking to people uh, before and after games in the triangle area and, uh, you know, unknowingly at the time developed the skill set that I've kind of utilized throughout my career. Um, uh, one of the groups that came into their restaurant was Belmont University's men's basketball team. They, they, they ate there before a game with Campbell University. And, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate to make contact with their staff. Uh, had a buddy living out in Nashville, went out and visited uh, on my senior spring break in uh, college and went and got a tour of Belmont's campus, went to one of their practices, realized they had a sport administration graduate program, fell in love with the head of the program, uh, a woman named Dr. Fran Hogestrot. I've sat in her office for three hours and I was just like, I gotta, I gotta come here. I gotta be around her. I gotta learn from these people. This is where I'm meant to be. Um, so upon graduation from NC State, loaded up a U-Haul the day after and drove to Nashville and kind of got to work and um, didn't have, uh, wasn't actually in school yet at that point in time, uh, was in the application process, uh, took a job at a local country club, caddying and uh, working in the cart barn. And was well, just that's where you got good at golf. Yeah. Uh, well, I grew up down the street from a guy named Webb Simpson and oh, yeah, high school yeah. golf too. that's where I got good. Cause I just watched Ooh. everything he did and did it like one okay. tenth as well as he does. <laughs> you know? And um, yeah, he, it worked out all right for Webb. I think he's going to, he's doing okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so yeah, went out, went down to Nashville kind of with this plan that uh, not being in school yet, but just knowing like in my heart and my gut, like that's where I was meant to be. Um, worked at uh, the country club that whole summer and was kind of looking at how I could get in um, to, to that graduate program. Uh, because I because I looked at it pretty late in the process and um, was just really blessed and fortunate. Like it worked out that 
the week before classes started, someone dropped and they, I was there, you know, I mean, they, they could, they could fit me in and Dr. Hogerstrat got me in. And um, around that same time, one of the members of the club I was working at was a big Vanderbilt donor and was, you know, asked me kind of what I was doing out in Nashville and um, explained to him my, my desire to become an athletics director. And uh, he set me up with a meeting with their marketing department and, and they, they set me up with an unpaid marketing internship. So everything kind of came together uh, at the last minute for me, <laughs> you know, uh, right before the semester started there in Nashville. And, you know, I think, um, you know, not to get too long-winded, but uh, you, know, you asked about the path, like I think each stop along the way teaches you something about why you do what you do um, or you'd get out, you'd, 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 you'd move on. And for me, I, I've, you know, become more and more convicted about what I do at each school. You know, I mean, obviously my grad school experience was phenomenal at Belmont, but, but I, I draw a lot every day from my experience working in Vanderbilt's athletics department. I mean, my first year I was in marketing um, and that was, I mean, it was such a grind, but it was awesome. If you're young, you're single and you can do it, like being on the field, being around, you know, the, the, the games being played like up close and personal is such a rush, you know, and, and then looking up and seeing the stands filled with people and feeling like you had something to do with that, like uh, is it, so cool. Um, but within one of the women in the development office went on maternity leave and they asked me to fill in part time for her because they were short staffed um, and, and it was an opportunity for me to make a couple bucks and uh, learn about a different area of the athletics department. And I said, sure. And uh, it was really cool. The, the first thing they had me do is run a thank you note writing night with the student athletes that have endowed scholarships. And uh, I had two student athletes in particular that were kind of taking a little longer than everybody else. And um, they were international student athletes uh, from fairly impoverished countries. And uh, I read their letters uh, and it spoke about how this opportunity was going to not only change their life, but the lives of their entire village that they came from and you know, their, their intentions on how they were going to use this degree to basically change the world. Right. You know, and I was like, whoa, we are doing something way more than just winning and losing and figuring out how to beat our rivals here. Like um, we are really, really impacting the lives of young people here with these opportunities. And, um, and Vanderbilt was also a great place for me to learn about um, the total student athlete experience because they do it at an elite level there. You know, I mean, they hold themselves to a standard of having some of the best students who also happen to be athletes in the SEC, but also expecting them to compete. So learned a lot there. Uh, definitely shaped my opinion of where I would go next. And when I was finishing up grad school, um, got opportunities to interview uh, at, at Clemson and Duke in addition to my own alma mater. Um, and for whatever reason, it just worked out that the Duke offer was the one I got. Um, and, and it was, you know, perfect timing, you know, call it, you know, like Drake said, God's plan, but like it, it you know, I, I ended up uh, getting to work there and uh, meet Boo Corrigan who became instrumental in my career path. Um, and, and it, you know, who ended up becoming the AD at army ironically is now the AD at my own alma mater, but um, he's the one who kind of led me to West point. But while I was at Duke, like I, I would tell you about a conversation I had, I started in development, uh, Dr. White, Kevin White was the AD there and asked me, I'll never forget, he had me drive him and his wife to Blacksburg, Virginia for a basketball game. And in the middle of nowhere, uh, I don't even know, even know for North Carolina, Virginia, he was like, hey, I want you to move to ticket sales and um, sell women's basketball tickets and football tickets. And I was thinking to myself, man. Like, I got a pretty good gig. I'm in development at Duke, and we just won the national title in basketball. Like, I mean, I'm going to high-end, swanky donor events, and people are happy. And, like, you're going to go ask me to sell, like, probably our two hardest tickets to sell. 
like, man, I, I think he asked me in the middle of nowhere because he thought I'd run if he asked me when, I, when we were back in North Carolina. Um, I, I really had nowhere to go, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, it really taught me how to think on my feet. I think working in commission-based structure gave me a hustle and a fire that I didn't have before. It really, really, you know, pushed me. It, it put, it, it helped me learn how to, that it was okay to be aggressive in asking people to support our institutions because if you believe in the product, why wouldn't you be, you know? And, um, and so learn a ton, but I had one conversation in particular, they taught you in sales training, ask people what brought them out to their first game. And if we figure that out, you know, we can then replicate that experience. And um, so I asked this one gentleman, you know, we didn't have great notes on him. And, and um, so I really wasn't sure what answer I was going to get. And I said, you know, sir, you know, what brought you out of your first game? And he said, you know, Tim, I live 40 minutes outside of town. Um, it's an affordable ticket for me to bring my family to games. And I never made it off the farm. And I take my kids to those games every fall. And I tell them at 18 years old, this is the type of place I want you to end up at you know, don't, I want you to get off the farm. I want you to have a different life, a better life in his eyes, you know, than he had. And, and that was what really made it click for me. Like that nothing was, that was do, nothing to do with the sport, nothing to do with the game, a player or whatever. And, you know, nope. I think, I think about as you're telling that story, right. It's like, you started off your journey thinking NC state, this is where I grew up. Right. And then one would go, how do you go work for the rival? Right. Like everybody in, you know, when they're younger, starting out in sports, they're like, oh, you want to go work for your favorite team. Right. And or I'm a fan of this. Or it's like, no, no, no. Hold on. Back up. You're going to go where the opportunity takes you. But at the same time, like what goes through your mind of I'm you know, you're talking about these experiences you're having. It's not about, you know, Coach K on the court. Right. And what, you know, their success is it's it's. Uh, you know, whether it's better than NC State or not, right? It's it's the experiences that that university is providing. And to your story just now, it's like, yeah, that person who who's growing up on the farm, like they want their kids to go to an institution like Duke. Right? Yeah, I mean, it was it made me so convicted in what we do. It's 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 why I'm still doing it. I mean, that conversation was a seminal moment in my career and life. Um, and you know, I will say this. NC State and Duke are not nearly as big rivals as NC State and North Carolina um, and, and Duke and North Carolina. So there's kind of a, a shared kinship between State and Duke in the sense that, like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, right. I, I couldn't have taken a job at UNC. I just couldn't do it. I, I <laughs> Never in a million years. I have a lot of friends that went to school there, uh, you know, but but it, it's, it's a different deal. Because like, when you grow up down there, I mean, at that point in time, Duke was – I want to say four or 5% in state when I was a senior in high school. And um, so you really didn't know a ton of people on Duke's campus, but man, when you, when you were playing Carolina, all your buddies were in your ear because everyone at your high school went to one of those two places or one of the other in-state schools, but a lot of people were at those two schools. So, but, but I was open to Duke because of that. And, and also, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I wanted, I wanted, I still, I, I want to be the best at whatever I do. And um, Duke was really good, is really good. You know, Duke was really, really successful in that era of college athletics. And I learned so much about that, too. I mean, you know, a lot of people sit here and say, you know, Duke is a, you know, Duke fans are cocky or Duke people are cocky. Well, I'll tell you right now, like, you have to believe in, in your own building that you can be the best or that you are the best before it's going to happen. 
like if you start talking about anything else or holding yourself to any standard lower than that, you're, you're, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're not going to be the best. Like it doesn't happen on accident, right? You know, so it's not cockiness, it's belief. It's actually the courage to have enough faith in yourself and the abilities and talents you've been given to know that, hey, if we put in maximum effort, we can be the best at what we do. I mean, I'm telling you right now, when I was in that culture, if you were, you know, the person cutting grass, you were expected to be the best at cutting grass in America. And you held yourself to that standard. If you were the basketball coach, same thing, you know, in every job in between, that was the culture we had. And um, something I've carried with me, you know, throughout my career. So I was very glad I made that decision. And, um, and again, I met Boo Corgan there, led me to West Point, which, man, you asked about West Point, I, I could probably do a whole podcast on that experience <laughs> in and of itself. But um, I'll, I'll be as succinct as I possibly can. Tim, real, real quick yeah. before we get to West Point, because it, yeah. it's, and I know we were talking about this even before we got on to record, it was like, um, you say you want to be the best at what you are or what you're doing, and then you want to be the best that you can be, right? Yes. And if you dig a little deeper and you go, well, why? Right? Like, why do you want to be the best that you can be? Or why do you want to be the best at what you're doing? And I think a lot of the times, maybe someone's answer might be because they get to a certain title, because they get to a certain place or, you know, a certain amount of money or whatever it is. But um, you talk about relationships or legacy or, you know, the, the, the other things. What's the why for you? Well, I'd be remiss. I mean, my, my, my faith is bit, very big for me. And, you know, and I know they say don't talk about religion, sex or politics. And, and but you ask the question. I mean, I think for me, it's to just to honor God. And, and I've been humbled enough in my life to, to have made a lot of mistakes and to know that there's got to be someone up there who's forgiven me and making it happen, you know. And, um, and, and so it's, it's really to do the best job that I can do with the gifts that he's blessed me with and, um, and to hopefully be a good person, um, you, you know, that, that brings other people closer to, to that line of thinking, you know, I mean, I, I, um, I'm very sensitive to the world we live in. I realize not everybody has the same views, but, but that is my why, you know, and then, but your, your why expands too. I mean, I have a wife and children. Now, like, I, I, I'd be lying if I said like, at this point in my life, like, my why is, you know, I want my kids to be proud of what their dad does, you know, and, um, and not just proud of wins and losses, like the way I treated people, hopefully, you know, the, the lives that we were able to impact through the work we've done, you know, that hopefully we made the world a better place than, than the way we found it. Right. You know, and, um, that, you know, that, that was certainly the, the why. And, and, you know, particularly with what I do in college athletics, it's, I understand this is a platform to put role models on display. I mean, it's funny, Charles Barkley says, Hey, I'm not a role model, but our student athletes are, you know, our student athletes are role models for, not only the universities they attend, but the communities that support them and the communities they represent. And they're role models for a mission and value system that, uh, you know, a lot of young people are forming an idea of whether they want to be a part of that or not. You know, so for me, I've grown to appreciate the opportunity we have to also impact society. If we trot out people who are ethical and do the right thing and are kind to people and, and are good citizens and they win, everybody loves a winner. Like, you know, so, so to me, the ultimate why in college athletics for me is proving you can do it the right way and win, 
you know, proving to young people that like, hey, you can you can pursue this noble life path, a career path and, and get a degree and make the world a better place and you can be successful. I mean, you know, that's uh, that that's definitely, you know, each institution has probably further ingrained that in me. Um, and really, like I said, I could go on and on about West Point and really what it did, because it's a different deal there. It's not just using that platform to inspire people to pursue higher education. Um, it is inspired people to join the, the United States Army. I mean, like that was a, you talk about a humbling experience, like knowing that the, the, every time Army Navy games played and an NFL stadium is full and there's that one standalone weekend where no one's got any other football to watch, but that game, like they're forming an opinion on our nation's, you know, branches of service, you know, like, um, and the importance of those people. And I, and I think it was never more evident to me than at West Point, how much a role models these young people are. Um, because you know, everyone thinks about West Point producing soldiers that defend the nation. And that's an obvious, uh, the, the courage and heroism that exists there is, I think, goes without saying. But at most every one of these young people who goes to our, one of our service academies is known in their hometown, or at least at minimum in their little community, and if they're from a big city or at their high school, as the kid who went to West Point. You know, and some, somebody, a lot of somebodies in most cases, are watching everything they do. Some group of parents is telling their kids, hey, that's the guy you need to be like. That's the young woman you need to be like. Like they, they, they are a cut above, right? And so, um, you know, knowing that that was our responsibility at West Point, I mean, I, that became a huge why for me. You know, I mean, it, it was, um, and you learn so much from the young people. I mean, you know, you can't have an ego after working at a place like that. Because everything they do at 18 years old is more impressive than I'll ever do in my whole life. You know, like you can sit here and say, well, Tim, you know, 20 years from now, you're going to be the AD somewhere and you'll have won 10 national titles. And, and I'll say, yeah, but I was not, I did not have enough courage to risk my life for other people. So what I did was not as impressive as them, you know? Um, and then I also think fundamentally the way they think is very different than everybody else has been instrumental in my growth as a leader. Like I had thought my whole life, going back to a point we were talking about earlier, be the best, be the best, be the best. Like you, 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 you make the best grades, so you can go to the best school and go to the best school. So you can get the best job and get the best jobs. So you can make the most money and you can have the nicest house and this, that, and the other, you know, they fundamentally flip that, that, that line of thinking on its head. They, they are every day evaluated, not only on how they're performing academically and then physically in their preparation to become a soldier, but on how they're impacting everyone around them. They're all in a company of with 39 other cadets and they're evaluated on whether they're making them better or not. So instead of waking up every day and thinking, how do I be the best? How do I be better than everyone else? They think they wake up every day. And the first thought they have as leaders in training is how do I make everyone else better? And that became obvious to me and it kind of clicked with me like, wow, if these are the, the best leaders we're developing in the world, we're supposed to be, right? Like maybe there's something to that. You know, maybe it's, maybe you should do that, dude. You know, like to say this myself, like you know, wake up every day and think about like, hey, your actions are gonna affect other people. So maybe you think about that effect before you act. 
instead of just thinking about what's best for me and then hoping the effects fall into place. And so it kind of flipped everything. And I think it made me a much better leader. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff I learned there. I mean, I just, you know, I refuse to ever have a bad day. I mean, when you've, when you've been around, you know, the spouses of folks who their, their significant others deployed and they, they, you know, you see what they go through and the pain that they face and the worry that they have, like it's an insult to them to ever have a bad day because, because what I get paid to go to sporting events, you know, I get paid to talk about sports people what a slap in their face. If I, if I take that for granted and say, I'm having a bad day, you know, they're risking everything, you know, they're going through a lot more than I ever will. So I'm very, very thankful for that experience. And then just also learned a lot about, again, having a standard of excellence there and, and not cutting corners. I mean, that their honor code, you know, cadet will not lie, cheat, steal, or tolerate those who do like that last piece right there. That's a hard one. You know, I mean, we all try to say, well, I would never lie, cheat or steal. But you probably know somebody who is, and, and if you're allowing that in your organization, you're just as guilty. You're letting other people suffer because of the actions of those other folks. And I never had thought about it that way before. You know, well, I had always taken the path of least resistance and saying, hey, that's their problem, not mine. You know, so I, again, I, I won't belabor the point because I could probably do a whole hour podcast on my experience working at West Point. Yeah, this, is, this, is why, this is why you and I get along because yeah. we can talk, right? It's like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it was cool. It was awesome. I, you asked about West Point specifically. I mean, life-changing. I cannot say enough great things about every person I ever met that was affiliated with that place. It's it's so interesting. Like, as you mentioned, every step along the way in your career, right, kind of has like that experience teaches you something different, right? And so I think it's, it's fascinating wherever you do end up going, right? And, uh, you know, along the way, it's like, uh, what, what did I learn from that place? And um, I think even one thing, like when I was at Purdue, I just learned uh, not even culturally because because living in a different part of the country, but but also just the people and their backgrounds and where they come from and what they believe in. Right. And then you just start asking questions and it's like, man, that's interesting. I never thought about that. Right. Or whatever the case is, um, you know, one one thing as we start to wrap up, I want to get to is kind of how the fundraising. And I know you said you're not, you know you don't think of yourself as a fundraiser, right? But how fundraising in general, whether campus athletics is, is evolving, right? Obviously technology, people, their time, whatever. Um, how is fundraising evolving and where is it going? And, and in terms of people who, if they're listening to this and they go, you know what, I wanna get into fundraising. What do they need to do from an experience perspective to be prepared to take advantage of an opportunity that might present itself like it did for you? Wow, that's that's like a three-part question there. Um, where do I start? What? So, I think everyone's got different philosophies on fundraising. Um, mine is probably a little bit more old school than some people. Um, I believe in a lot of the technology that's out there to help generate leads and to engage with alumni, prospects, whatever it may be. Um, but I don't think anything ever replaces talking to human beings, you know, like there's no amount of wealth rating software that's going to tell you more than developing a relationship of trust where someone opens up to you about what they, what they're capable of doing and what, what more importantly, what their vision is for their institution that they love, you know I mean? Like, because there's some of the, some of the fundraising, you know, in, in terms of screening someone's capacity is like, it's unquantifiable because some people will dig deeper and give more of their resources because they love something so much. Others may have more, but the passion's not there, 
right? And you know, and so you play each relationship different. Like if it, if if it's the latter of those two situations, like I'm trying to work to get them to meet me where I am with my passion for what we're doing, right? If but if it's someone where the passion is already there, we're talking about you know honestly, like financially, what's the best situation for them? So I have to wear two different hats sometimes, you know, or multiple different hats based on the discussion. I think fundraising is the least one size fits all profession ever. So if I was giving someone advice on why you should want to get into it, it's there is no monotony. Every single day is an opportunity to learn from someone, you know, is, is an opportunity to meet someone new. Like you were talking about, Jake, like no matter what school you're at, like to learn a different perspective on the world, to, to, to learn from someone who has been successful enough to have made the money to give it to someone else. You know, so clearly there's there's if you're having those discussions, you're interested in sharing your wealth like there's there's a good person in there, too, by the way. Like, you know, you're not a selfish person at that point. You're wanting to, to give back, right? So I get to talk to great people every day. And I also get to talk to people who've been successful because you don't have the means to give back if you're not successful. And so for me, as an aspiring leader, I always viewed every fundraising conversation and have still do as an opportunity to learn and get better. You know, I mean, it, it, any interaction with everyone is like that, right? You know, I mean, it, you, you know, my grandpa used to always say, well, God puts everyone in your path for a reason to teach you something. It's up to you whether you want to learn, you know, and, and I think he was really wise on that one. Like, and, and I've just been very, very fortunate to have found my way into this development silo where, um, you know, I do get to learn a lot. And, and, you know, there's other really cool aspects of it too. Like, you know, I mean, you getting to watch a project come to fruition and, and the impact that it makes on young people, the lasting impact, knowing, you know, getting to watch a, a young person get a degree and then go on and make a success themselves and, and better their community, like I was talking about at the beginning of the call, um, and knowing that, you know, you played a role in helping generate the support necessary to make that happen is a very fulfilling thing. Um, you know, but if you're someone who enjoys people, you enjoy listening, you enjoy learning um, and getting better. And at the same time, you, you know, you, you also look to you, you really place a value on the impact that you're able to make on other people in this world through your work. I think it's a great profession, you know, and, and if you work in um, college athletics, if you love sports, I mean, it's awesome. I mean, you, you go to all the games, you're talking to people, you're hearing their feedback. Um, I always viewed every game, every interaction I had with donors as like reps for when I would become the AD, hopefully, because I'm listening to what our client, our client is the fans, you know, so I'm listening to what they want to see. I'm listening to, to their passion. And I think that that's an important thing in fundraising. I think a lot of times fundraisers and salespeople get in the habit of selling how great our product is. I would I would probably say, in my opinion, that an even better strategy than that is, is instead of telling people how smart we are and how great we are at creating a product, ask them what their vision is for their institution, for their favorite team, and then figure out how we work together to, to facilitate that vision. Because at the end of the day, like they're the ones who have to be there and have to be bought in. And also, they're going to be bought in at a higher level if you if they feel like you're doing what they want to do rather than forcing them to like what you want to do, you know. And so I think you have to have the humility to to sit there and say like, hey, I think we have some pretty good ideas and we've got some great people in our building and we're we 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 are you know capable of putting on a great show and a great product for folks. But at the end of the day, the people who are supporting it are the ones whose opinions matter most, right? And so it's been a great great experience in terms of. Um, 
I think learning how we can constantly be getting better and constantly be meeting our fans where they are. Um, and so again, coming full circle on like the state of fundraising, like, again, I think there's a lot of technology out there, but the most important thing is the interactions that you have. So at Purdue, we're a little different. Like we manage every single person who donates a dime to Purdue. They have a point of contact. It's called your Boilermaker Athletics Representative. And we have different groups of people that manage folks at various giving levels. We have a group that talks to people who've only bought tickets that we're trying to turn into donors. We have a group that uh, talks to people who give between, let's, let's say, you know, zero and a thousand dollars. We have a group from a thousand to let's call it 7,500 ish. And then we have our major gifts team. And, and so we're constantly having conversations and identifying people who be, may be interested in giving more and then working collaboratively with the people at the, the next level up, if you will, to, to do that, right. To, 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 to build those relationships where we're moving people up the pipeline, getting them more engaged and, um, and, and you know, hopefully making them bigger donors. That's our system. I know there's other systems that are out there. Um, that, that's the system I believe in. And, and, I believe in it because I think it's built on relationships where people are going to tell you a little bit more and become a little bit more bought in because there's a human element and human relationship to it than just getting an email and hoping people give, you know, or, 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 or using the right crowdsourcing website and, or whatever it may be. Like those to me are additional ways that you can work smart, but working smart does not replace working hard. You know, like working smart is in addition to working hard. Yeah. Um, so, so I think it really comes down to your effort that you put into getting to know your donors and building relationships of trust where you're facilitating their vision for what we do. Absolutely. As we think about kind of just everything you talked about, right? Like the one word that resonates with me is curiosity, right? It's, it's just curiosity across the board, not only about what that person's vision is for the program or the university, right? But also just curiosity for how you can make things happen um, and, and, you know, be creative. So Tim, let's wrap up with some quick rapid fire. Okay, let's do it. If you're going to play an 18 hole course with one club, what's it going to be? Eight iron. Ooh. Okay. I just, I've always felt very comfortable with an eight iron. I just, I can trap it and hit it. You know, I'll hit a low draw eight iron if I need to hit two off the tee to get a little distance. I can eight iron, iron, eight eight iron. iron out of the sand. It, well, you just, it, it's just enough law that if you flip it open, a li you can hit a bunker shot. When I played all the time in high school, we used to actually do one club rounds just for fun. And yeah. that was always the one I'd choose. I, I just, I love an eight iron. Is there one campus you've never been on before? but you want to go to just, just to see. Um, well, I've been very fortunate to go to a lot of campuses. Um, I'm trying to think I've been to all the service academies, uh, got to go to all the IVs because of working at Penn, uh, which I didn't mention earlier, but I, that was cool, man. If I could, if there's one campus that I'd love to go to that I haven't been to, um, you know, I, for whatever reason, it always sticks out in my mind is University of Texas. I've, I've never been to, I've been to Lockhart, which is right next to Austin. I met a donor there, but I didn't actually get to go into Austin. Everyone talks about how great Austin is. And I think the University of Texas has been kind of a, one of the most prominent brands in our industry. So I, I'd really like to see, you know, they say everything's bigger than Texas. So I'd like to see just how big and, and great it is um, and, and learn some of, the, some of the things that they've done there. Best restaurant in Raleigh. That if oh, Casa Raleigh. Easy, easy money. Casa Carbone. It's my parents' restaurant. My grandpa started it 70 some odd years ago. 
That's uh, next question. Come on. <laughs> I, I, had to give you a lob. I had to give you a lob there. Uh, if there was, if you couldn't work in sports for whatever reason, doesn't exist. Okay. What else are you going to, what, what would you do? Whew. Um, I started in political science thinking I wanted to get into law because I like to talk so much, but I, I realized I, I quickly did not want to do the reading and writing required in that. Um, I think I'd probably at this point in my life, I'd still be in development. I'd probably choose a cause, um, probably something faith-based for me, um, use the skills that I've developed, um, you know, to, to help other people. Uh, I really, um, yeah, I mean, I, with age, I've learned to appreciate that, like, the less I think about me, the happier I am as a person. So if I could find something where I'm constantly thinking about other people, because that's not my natural tendency. I'd love to tell you I'm some selfless guy that wakes up every morning and thinks about everybody else. Like, I'm, I'm better or different than ever. No, I'm just as selfish as everybody else. I just know how to play defense against it. I keep myself busy with how I can help other people at this point in my life yeah. so that I don't become a jerk, you know, so I don't be selfish. So I think for me, if I could do something where I could raise money to impact lives and make people's lives better, and um, I know that sounds cliche, right? Like, but like something that feels similar to what I'm doing now, but maybe in a different space. And for me, uh, you know, at this point in my life and having gone through what I've gone through and learned from my mistakes and, you know, my, my faith has been so central to us. If I could do something around that, it'd probably be that. Well, really appreciate all your different perspectives, uh, stories, your journey, obviously a unique one. Um, Tim, obviously a lot to learn from you, but also just uh, your your kind of view on, on the progression, right, that you've made and, and kind of each stop along the way. So really appreciate your time on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suji Organic. And uh, certainly we'll have you on for a second episode to talk everything West Point. I, I'm sure we can do that and make that happen. Um, so until then, appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Jake. It, it was my honor. And we, we got to talk to some Purdue, too, because we didn't even scratch the surface with that, um, you know, with, with our time together here and how special this place is. I mean, it's it's a fantastic – there's a reason. As much as I, you know, gave glowing reviews of West Point, like there's a reason I've been here four years and we haven't – you know, we don't have no intentions of going anywhere else because it's, it's an awesome, awesome place, too. So, but, uh, yeah, we'll have to save that for the next one. I appreciate it, Jake. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.